This is Confessions of a Closet Romantic, a podcast where I talk about my favorite romantic TV shows, movies, books, and why I love them so much. Without embarrassment or shame, well, mostly. This is Poppy, and in this episode, all the words romance, before sunrise, before sunset, and destination wedding. When I first saw Before Sunrise, I was around the same age as the characters of Jesse and Celine. I'm also a bookish person who has always used all the words. It's just how I've always processed the world. Words and books have always been my coping mechanism. I used to think I could power through anything with just my intellect. I would analyze my way through my dating relationships, my family relationships, any tight emotional knot. My ex-husband and I met as pen pals and used all the words to fall in love. We wrote letters back and forth every month for more than two years before we met. And there were even a few mixtapes thrown in. He was a writer based in London. I was a writer in the Midwest. Words were our bridge. So for a person like me, who has always taken an analytical approach to love, these movies are the ideal romances. Jesse and Celine are the central characters of Before Sunrise and Before Sunset, and then later Before Midnight, and they strike me as similar people. They're smart and cultured, but a bit anxious, stuck in their own heads, The plots of these films are very basic. In Before Sunrise, Jesse, played by Ethan Hawke, is heading to Vienna, and Celine, played by Julie Delphi, is heading home to Paris. They meet on a train, start talking, and really connect. So eventually, Jesse persuades her to get off the train with him in Vienna. He doesn't have money for a hotel. So they spend the whole night walking around the city, talking, until his flight back to the U.S. in the morning. Nine years later, they meet up again in Before Sunset, this time in Paris after Celine discovers that Jesse has become a writer and he has a book signing at her favorite bookshop in Paris. So they spend the afternoon before his flight back to New York reconnecting. In Before Midnight, they're nine years older again, and all of that wordiness isn't to impress each other, but to help them explore and sort out the messy real-life stuff that comes from loving someone over years. I love parts two and three of the trilogy so much because now these characters are in their 30s and then almost 40. We've gotten older and aged along with the real-life actors and the characters, And the conversation is less frantic. It's like they're more resigned about who they are and where they are in life. But they remind each other of their younger, more adventurous selves just under the surface. As the hours go by and before sunset, they confess that their current relationships haven't lived up to the promise of that brief relationship they had in their early 20s. And by the end of the afternoon, they don't come to any conclusions, but only cement that connection that they have with each other to the point where they can be utterly bare and real. I don't feel anything that relates to love. I don't feel things for people anymore. In a way, 
I put all my romanticism into that one night and I was never able to feel all this again. Like somehow this night took things away from me and I expressed them to you and you took them with you. It made me feel cold, like if love wasn't for me. I, I, don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. You know what? Reality and love are almost contradictory for me. It's funny. Every single of my exes, then I'm married. Men go out with me, we break up, and then they get married. And later they call me to thank me for teaching them what love is, oh, and God. that I taught them to care and respect yeah. women. I think I'm one of those guys. You know, I want to kill them. Why didn't they ask me to marry them? I would have said no, but at least they could have asked. But it's my fault. I know it's my fault because I never felt it was the right man, never. But what does it mean, the right man, the love of your life? The concept is absurd. The idea that we can only be complete with another person is evil, right? Can I talk? You know, I guess I've been heartbroken too many times, and then I recovered. So now, you know, from the start, I make no effort, because I know it's not uh, going to well, work out. I know it's you, not going to work out. You can't do that. You can't live your life trying to avoid pain and okay. expensive. You know what? Those are words. I've got I've to get away from you. Stop the car. I want to no, get out. No, no, no. Don't, it's, don't, no, don't, you know don't, don't get it's out. It's being Keep around talking. you, OK? Hey, no, hey. don't touch me. You know, I want to get on a cab. No, Monsieur, arrêtez-vous. No, no, c'est bon au feu, là. No, 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 don't, don't, no, 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 I'm just so happy, all right, to be with you. I am. I'm so glad you didn't forget about me, okay? No, I didn't, and it pisses me off, okay? You come here to Paris, all romantic and married, okay? Screw you. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to get you or anything. I mean, all I need is a married man. And there's been so much water under the bridge. It's, it's not even about you anymore. It's about that time, that moment in time that is forever gone. I don't know. You, you say all that, but you didn't even remember having sex, so. Of course I remembered. You did? Yes. <laughs> Women pretend things like that. I don't know. They do? Yeah, what was I supposed to say? That I remember the wine in the park and us looking up at the stars fading away as the sun came up. We had sex twice, you idiot. <laughs> All right, you know what? I'm just happy to see you, even if you've become an angry, manic-depressive activist. I still like you. I still enjoy being around you. Ah, oh, you can just hear Celine's hurt and disappointment. That eternal hope and romance that is still there just under the surface. At this point, I am so impressed with Ethan Hawke and Julie Telfy, who created the script along with the director, Richard Linklater. I imagine there was a lot of rehearsal and improvisation because this film feels even deeper and more authentic than the first one. If you like deep conversations that take twists and turns with plenty of romantic subtext, you'll be transfixed by these movies. Speaking of being brutally honest in a rom-com, I recently rewatched the movie Destination Wedding with Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder, who play emotionally barricaded misanthropes from California, which is quite the oxymoron. This movie is the enemies-to-friends trope wrapped in a slightly over-the-top, smarty-pants, Woody Allen-esque brand of romantic comedy, the lightly manic type-A pacing makes me wish a romance between two intellectual powerhouses like Lindsay and Frank 
was possible in real life without complications. Okay, mini confession time. I have had a secret crush on Keanu Reeves for years. First of all, he is shaggy, adorable like a sheepdog. And I've always felt there was a soulfulness and intelligence to his performances, especially in movies like The Lake House. I know some people feel that movie is cheesy, but I will hear no trash talking about it. He is the sexiest time-traveling architect ever. That's all I'll say right now about that. The character he creates in Destination Wedding is so self-effacing and charmingly neurotic that he makes a perfect partner for Winona Ryder's adorable neurotic singleton. The story is one of those there-is-a-lid-for-every-pot type of romance. Lindsay and Frank meet not in a meet-cute, but more like a meet-hate at a tiny airport in California. They're on their way to a mutual acquaintance's wedding, and we discover that they actually had been introduced to each other. And they quickly realize that they were slightly acquainted, but have heard nothing but awful things about the other person. <laughs> Yeah, they rub each other the wrong way over and over again, make massive assumptions, they th throw witty insults back and forth, that the one thing they bond over is their mutual hatred of the wedding couple. The fact that Reeves and Ryder make this couple even remotely appealing is a testament to their acting because... They are united in the most mean and negative view of the world that I think has ever made it to the silver screen. So they gird themselves for an agonizing weekend of pretending they are fans of romance while actually locked in their own private hells. But naturally, according to the trope, they're thrown together at every turn. First on the tiny plane upstate, then in the hired car to the resort, then in adjoining rooms in the cheesy hotel, they begin to sense somebody is having a huge joke on them. But the plan seems to be working. Eventually, they start finding humor in each other's poor coping skills and realize there are many other people who can hate so cleverly using such big concepts. And they start to thaw towards each other. At the wedding, as the guests start to dance, Lindsay and Frank decide they can't stand all of the sentimental hogwash and take a walk. The destination wedding is in gorgeous wine country, but of course they can't stop talking long enough to notice anything around them, even when a mountain lion crosses their path. After some amusing analysis paralysis, one of them decides, hey, they should just run for it. They trip and roll down a hill, sit up, and in a movie about two awkward intellectual neurotics, what could doing the dirty at a wedding reception be except hysterically awkward? Especially because these two can't stop talking at each other, even when they're in the midst. They live in California. But Be Here Now is not a Zen lesson they have picked up anywhere. This scene is funny, real, painful all at the same time. Okay, listen to this clip. When you hear heavy breathing, they're literally grabbing each other, kissing each other, then shoving each other away back to the ground. It's been a while since health class. 
you thought I had a cervical injury, the last thing you're supposed to do is flip a person over like a fucking pancake. I'm sorry. Yeah. On the other hand, you did save me. Us. I told you it would have gone for me. Why did you do that? Why did you save me? I didn't save you. Why did you save me? Because I'm an idiot. You could have died. Of idiocy. Don't tell me you're secretly noble. I'm not. But I thought maybe she's right. Maybe hers is the life in danger. She seems to know fucking everything. And I didn't want to feel guilty for the rest of my life about not having saved you. I get that. I didn't want to think of myself as selfish. Frank. As that selfish. On top of everything else, I already think about myself. Copy you. Because it's not like I have so much to live for. Yeah. Well, that's true. Well, anyway, thank you. I'm sorry. I don't know what that was. Neither do I, for fuck's sake. Jesus. God damn it! I'm sorry. What is wrong with you? I don't know. What the fuck? Very difficult for me to give myself over to any sort of positive activity. Yeah, especially this one. It makes me think about how long I've gone without it, which makes me want to kill myself. Yeah, well, I've been pretty sure for a very long time that life is essentially a horrible experience, and I really don't need this kind of confusion. And pressure. Yeah. I mean, if it all sucks, then fuck it. But if it doesn't all suck, then there's so much pressure. Yeah. Do you know how long it's been since I've been touched with affection by another human being? How about without affection? Nearly as long. I tell you right now, I haven't felt pleasure since about 2006. Sometimes I feel the absence of pain, which at this point feels like pleasure, or at least pleasure's little cousin. I don't have protection. Well, why would you? I mean, why would you have a condom today? What are the odds? Astronomical. What if you got pregnant? I'm sure my womb is hostile. Having sex right now would be irresponsible. Well, who cares? I mean, how much worse can things get? Okay. Yeah? Okay. I mean, why not? Maybe an orgasm will calm them both down if they can get through it without killing the buzz with a play-by-play. I'll post some other movie clips in my show notes at confessionsofaclosetromantic.com because their whole dysfunctional ballet is well worth seeing. I'm guessing romances like these are a very particular taste. There must be a thousand words per page in the script like the Gilmore Girls. So if that show makes you a bit squirrely, this movie will drive you nuts. But I love an overly wordy intellectual love story like these. So I'll probably watch Destination Wedding again just to see that sex scene and catch every bit of that clever banter. You know, it makes me think I've also loved all the words in the bedroom. Apologies to my former partners. 
I can only hope I was just a little bit charming with it. And now my dear friend Liz enters the confessional about the Before Trilogy of movies. When I heard you talk about how many times you watched the Philadelphia story without ever tiring of it, I immediately thought of the many, many, many hours I spent watching and re-watching Richard Linklater's movies Before Sunrise and Before Sunset with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. In my early 20s, I was exactly the kind of person who would have gotten off a train with a handsome stranger and wandered around a city all night. In fact, I did very similar things several times and I'm amazed actually that nothing bad ever happened to me. I chalk it up to being a good judge of character and the fact that actually most people are kinder and better than we're led to believe. Anyway, there's something about these two movies that resonates so deeply with me. I was simply amazed when they made the sequel to Before Sunrise. Jesse and Celine are such vivid characters. They've really lived on in my memory. When they made a little cameo in Linklater's animated film, Waking Life, that was so delightful to me. To see them reunited in Paris in their 30s and before sunset, talking about their time in Vienna that I had come to know so well, was satisfying and stressful all at the same time. I absolutely did not see the ending of that movie coming. Wow. And although there is actually a third movie in the trilogy, Before Midnight, I choose to have the story end with Before Sunset as pure possibility. I've known Liz for years, and this is something I didn't know about her. Oh, the power of the confessional. I'd love to feature your romantic confessions on the podcast. Your favorite romantic movie, TV show, book, your first kiss. Confess on your phone, record a voice memo, click share, and email to confessionsofaclosetromantic at gmail.com. Or leave me a voicemail by clicking on the tiny blue microphone at the bottom of the page at confessionsofaclosetromantic.com. Don't forget to let me know if you want your confession to be private or shared. I can't wait to hear your obsessions. <laughs> Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I have rewound that gorgeous, amazing discovery of Witch's Kiss about 29 times. Any sound effects you hear are courtesy of the good people at freesound.org under a Creative Commons license. Find show notes with links to what I've been babbling about at confessionsofaclosetromantic.com. It was so nice to have your company. Until we meet again, wishing you shame-free romance.